When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After a 364-day wait, Euro 2020 is finally set to get underway. 51 matches, 24 countries playing across 11 cities and one podcast here with you every day of the next month as we go tournament crazy. Welcome to Euro's Digest here on Football Digest. I'm your host, Guy Clark, and each day we'll be joined by a couple of journalists from across the Reach Sport Network to preview, review and everything in between. Joining me on the opening day of the tournament, we have the Mirror's Chief Football Writer, John Cross, and Mirror Sport Writer, Neil McClemon. Gentlemen, I hope you're both well. Uh, John, I'll come to you first. And well, as I said, we've had this extra year wait for the tournament. It's finally good to be here on the on opening day. Well, let's hope it's worth the wait, really. It does seem a very strange tournament, doesn't it? Um, uh, because there's obviously still ongoing concerns. I just think in, in many ways, like the Premier League, the Premier League uh, season just gone, played under strange circumstances. We had some reduced attendances at the end, um, behind closed doors for a lot of it. And I just thought that what football did uh, then and what hopefully it can do now is perhaps um, change the mood of the nation, really, take our minds off off other things, remind us that perhaps we're hopefully heading a bit towards normality. Won't it be fantastic to have uh, a, a real good number of fans back in um, at Wembley? Uh, I, I mean, the latter stages we're already talking about perhaps potentially over 45,000. Um, so if we can, if we can get to that point, it will feel as if football is, is vaguely normal again. I guess that's what I'm looking forward to the most. I'm so passionate about the England team, I'm so passionate about international football. But I do think that the one thing that football has missed so much in the last what 18 months or so is fans. And I think that w- without fans, it doesn't feel the same. I think international tournaments are all about the colours, all about the... The, the imagery, all about those pictures, all about sort of kind of the fans celebrating in the in sort of the various cities, and and I just think that hopefully, even with reduced numbers, we'll still get that flavour and we'll still get the high quality of football that that the Euro Championships normally always delivers. Yeah, what are you expecting, Neil? Because we obviously are coming off the back of this truncated season, but I suppose we saw even in this country with the FA Cup final, with the Champions League out in Porto as well, just that that impact that even in limited numbers fans do make. Oh, absolutely. It, it's such a difference. I think John's absolutely right. We, everyone's been through such a terrible time over the last year, 18 months. It's great to have something else to talk about. I'm going to be spending my time plotting on, on the mirror wall chart. How Who's going to get to the final? That's something else to think about, who, trying to work out who's going to qualify from the groups and all that sort of stuff. I think the, the fan impact is going to be great. And I think going to England, it's going to be really interesting to see the impact. I mean, we, I think we can talk about it being a home tournament for England. And England's record in big tournaments hasn't been great historically. But the two home events, 1966 and 1996, have done very well, won and reached the, the semi-finals. I think that's going to be a, a key part to it. And I just thought it's great to have you know, another couple of home nations, especially my buyer's Scotland first event for 23 years. I think the Tartan Army matches in Glasgow, I think that's going to be fantastic as well. So, that, yeah, let, let's hope there's, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about football for the next month or something. It's going to be great. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Let's get into it then. We'll start up with the, the home nations. John, I know you're on the big Euros preview on the, the Football Digest podcast uh, yesterday, but in terms of England, you say you're obviously a massive England fan. How do you rate our chances? <laughs> Look, I think if everything was, was normal, I really would fancy England uh, to potentially go away, certainly reaching the final. I, I just think that basically maybe apart from Spain, who've had this outbreak, England have had the worst possible preparation. And I don't blame um, Gareth Southgate for that. I don't blame FA for that. I just think it's circumstance. I think it's basically three teams, three English teams reaching the uh, two European finals. I think that's 11 players reporting up late. I think we've got injury withdrawals. We've got, you know, very, very difficult uh, strange truncated season where I think a lot of players have you know reported up perhaps not a peak fitness when you only have to look at sort of you know Jordan Henderson not played a competitive match since February and Jordan Henderson such a key part of England um, and, and Gareth Southgate's team equally Declan Rice only played a handful of games in reality um, to, towards the end of the season and and those sort of things I think they just add up you know I, I, it's great that Harry Kane is obviously fit and firing he's going to be absolutely crucial I think he's had the season of his life I really really do I think he's scored a phenomenal amount of goals and I think he's all round players has gone up a level so it's things like that that can you know England's attacking prowess and their attacking players can give Southgate's you know chances a huge huge boost Ultimately, I just feel as if it's, you know, it's a difficult group. It's a difficult path, depending on who they get next. The permutations are absolutely huge. What they can, what happens next, depending on where they finish, you know, first, second, or even potentially third. You know, it's, it's really a difficult one to map out. And the thing is, you can never, ever, I don't think, you know, play for second place or, you know, make sure you must finish second. It doesn't work like that. That's why we love football, because it's unpredictable. I just think, though, that there are, you know, England, I think, at full strength, I'd fancy them to win it. I really would. I, you know, I think France have got by far and away the best squad. But I just feel as if that England, with home advantage in normal times, if everyone was fit and firing, would have a wonderful chance of ending that, ending that weight. But unfortunately, I think defensive issues, which is largely about injuries, um, and, and then those injuries and difficulties in, in preparation will make it very difficult. So I'd love to be wrong, but I, I can't see them, you know, can't see them winning it, unfortunately, at Wembley. No, I was just going to say, I'll just come back to you and sort of taking the, the, the point that Neil was making before in terms of England and maybe it being somewhat of a home tournament and how that's gone well in the past. I was sort of thinking, is it too fanciful to think that almost this Southgate journey kind of began after Euro 2016, the last tournament? Of course, Big Sam came in briefly, but then he's taken it on. Now we're back obviously another European Championships five years later on. Gareth Southgate's done remarkable things. Could he maybe seal it? Of course, he was a key player in, in what happened in 96 as well. Yeah, look, I do think it's, it's you know, there's certain symmetry in football. Football is always amazing at how it delivers fate, isn't it, really? Um, you know, whether that's kind of former players scoring against their old clubs and former managers sort of having the last laugh over their old clubs. And, Equally, I mean, there's going to be so much talk. I think as the stadium goes on, uh, sort of as the tournament goes on, about Gareth Southgate and what happened in Euro '96. Can he lay that ghost finally? I mean, that you know, that's how football and kind of you know the fairy tale of football is supposed to work. I, look, I'd love to see it. I mean, honestly, 
covering England is an absolute joy. It really is because they've got this wonderful crop of players. You know, Gareth Southgate, what a leader. You know, what, what a fantastic piece he wrote this week, you know, in sort of almost a letter to the nation, wasn't it? A sort of kind of national address almost, if you like. Made you proud to, to be a football fan again. Made you proud to really want to follow England and be be part of that. And he's got this amazing generation of players and he's such a charming guy. He's such a, you know, such a nice guy. And, you know, he, he's... For whatever reason, it hasn't worked for him as a club manager so far, but it just feels he's so natural to that position. It's such a good fit. You're just willing him and the team to succeed. And I think, as I say, I think that they would, they they have so much goodwill behind them. When you think of that negativity going into previous recent tournaments, you know, even like 2010, 2012, I mean, 2016, (laughs) We're pretty underwhelming, and then it was, it, you know, that that the England team reached an all-time low, and so to be at this point is a real tribute to, to Gareth Southgate and the work that he's done, and and the FA were always targeting 2020 as perhaps a pathway to 2022, so we're in the middle, you know, of kind of those two dates, so we're on the right path. We're getting there slowly, but it, what worries me is just that kind of fitness and availability. If all the players were fit and on form. And I'd say, yeah, England have every chance. But I do feel as if there's probably better teams out there, better better prepared as well, I think, than than England right now. But, I'd love, I'd, you know, I think Wembley for those England games is going to be really, really special as well. So that can make a huge difference without doubt. Yeah, no, definitely. And I suppose one of the things to sort of bring into that argument, as you say, there with England is actually in the last year since when this tournament was meant to be played, you think of the amount of players who've come in and started to play a more key role, the likes of Calvin Phillips, Jack Grealish, even players like Reese James and and Ben White, who's got himself a a call up into the 26-man squad. So it is a fairly newish group and they've not had a great deal of time to work on it, as you say. I suppose opposite to that, nearly Scotland, another year under... Uh, Steve Clark and finally getting to a tournament. It's been a long 23-year wait, but it'll be well worth it, won't it? It will. I mean, it's been nine nine tournaments they tried to get to and failed. It, was a, it does seem like a long time ago, last century. The thing about Scotland, I, I watched the Holland game last week, one of their warm-up game, last warm-up game. They're winning 2-1 until the last minute, until Memphis Defy put one in the corner. But, you know, two of it, they're going to be difficult to beat. So for in, in that group with England... Yeah, that's why for Scotland, that first game against the Czech Republic is going to be so important. But I do think Scotland can get draws against um, England and Croatia. They, they, they're going to be difficult. The problem is going to be scoring goals like so many teams. But Steve Clark's got the defensively. He's got a three-man back line. He's managed to find a way to get Andy Robertson and Kieran Turney. And you know, they, they, they've now got... It's like back in the 70s and 80s when I was young that the Scotland team then had top players from the top teams in the Premier League. You had the Dalgleish's, Sooness's, Joe Jordan, etc. And now you've got McTominay, you've got Kieran Turney, you've got Andy Robertson. These are, these are proper players. And Kieran Turney, yeah, what he's done this year, we talk about the England players developing over a year he's come on as well so yeah and, and the, the, one of the many complications we talked about is, is that the third place the best third place teams going through and four sorry five years ago if you got four points you went through and then after three points it went down onto goal difference so if you get a win in your opening game what's the same for everyone and then you can nick a draw you're through to the next stages and Scotland I mean they made history to get to the first term for 23 years the next step would be to be the first ever team to get through 
into the knockout stages. The, 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 my, the first World Cup I remember was 1974 when they actually they were unbeaten in the and went out on goal difference in the same group with Brazil and Yugoslavia. So that you know, they've become very very close before. So uh, may, maybe this is the year. Yeah, no, definitely. Portugal, obviously, winners last time around did draw all three of their, their group games, didn't they? And I suppose immediately, John, all eyes are on the 18th of June at Wembley, England v Scotland. And of course, we all know what happened in, in 96. But we mentioned history before. It's it's all laying out, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear, see what Neil Neil's take on it is, really. But I just feel there's a dread amongst England fans, whereas Scotland, the, the, the relish in it, that's the difference. And it's basically, I don't want to go down the patronising route because that's just so unfair to say that basically, you know, Scotland have got nothing to lose. Of course they have. But I just think they're embracing this game in a different way. I think England will go into it with a bit of fear. I mean, we can't possibly lose will be the sort of kind of the mantra, I think, amongst players and fans. And I just think Scotland will go, go on then, you know, sort of like really up for this. And this will be, an amazing occasion. And that's not to say that they want to win it any less than England. I think, you know, I love the Scottish passion and the way that they'll be so passionate about it. But I just feel that they will be um, maybe approaching it with a different mentality. And I think that's a good place to be. I really do. And, you know, I think that ultimately, listen, Croatia are a good team. They're maybe not as good as they were three years ago when they've lost some lost some players. Um, but there'd still be a really, really difficult game. The Czech Republic, I mean, we shouldn't underestimate underestimate, uh, underestimate them in any way. You know, I think they're one of the most improved teams in Europe. Um, and they've got de- decent players now as well. But I do feel as if that England-Scotland game, it's like a derby match, whereas form, um, logic perhaps goes out the window. And and I think the Warriors, the competitors, and the characters that they have in that in that lineup. I mean, blimey, if they if they had a real potent goal scorer, then they would be a serious serious threat. I mean, as it is, I think goals might be the issue, but you know we'll we'll, we'll see. But I just feel as if that will be that will be so much fun next week in the build up to it. The game it is- itself. Wow. Yeah, it is one of those as well, though, isn't it? With that Scotland, obviously with the front two of Dykes and Adams as well, Neil, they've sort of been put together quite relatively recently. But albeit, obviously, one playing at QPR, the other at Southampton, I mean, no disrespect, they might not be right at the the top clubs, but they do seem to have a mixture there of what Steve Clark's looking for in a forward two and look as though they can more than cause problems. That's right. That's right. I think the, the thing about Scotland, the, the, the great thing about the Euros over the years, it does, you know, you don't have to have all the best players to win the tournament. I'm not saying Scotland are going to win it, but, you know, you can, if you get a good unit together, and Steve Clark's done a great job there from lifting from the, the cycle of negativity to, to I mean, he remember, I, I did a piece of them a couple of weeks ago and he, he came in and said, it's so negative. He told all the players, speak about the positive all the time. So the post-match press conference, even though it's struggling, talk about the positive. And he's, he instilled that in there. And there's a real, you know, it's the belief and you know, a team spirit there. So we saw, you know, we've seen Denmark and, and Greece do remarkable things in these Euro championships, not, not necessarily having the best players, but being well-organized and having a team spirit. And there's always a, you know, a shock semi-finalist in World Cups, and and, and you know, we'll maybe talk about Turkey later, and the, the other the other teams that could do that. So you can go a long way by by doing that. And I think, yeah, I think 
we said getting the goals. It happens is it added something extra to that forward line that hasn't had there the last year. He's got pace and you know directness as well. So it'd be interesting to see how he goes and the goals from midfield as well. And you know, Andy Robertson can get forward and provide assists like he did against Holland the other week. The, you know, the dead ball situations as well. That's, I think that's the way the Scotland can be looking to get on the score, score sheet. You know, definitely be interesting to see, obviously, how Wales get on as well. You mentioned uh, teams getting to semi-finals. They did it last time. But five years later on in the careers of Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale, John, it will be for them, I suppose, relying on those, but also hoping for a younger blood to step forward as well. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of younger blood in the midfield, uh, the midfield and sort of defensive area. Um, and I think they're trying to sort of kind of bring that through with a mix of, can you get the formation right that, that gives them that sort of security when you've kind of got younger players in defence like Roden and sort of Ampadu, for example, and and yet still get a balance where you can provide the attacking threat and have a you know fully fit Aaron Ramsey providing chances. Gareth Bale, you know, we all know what Gareth Bale can do and what Gareth Bale thinks about about Wales. I mean, I just, I, I love Gareth Bale. I'm his number one fan. And I just think he, you know, epitomises what you should bring to the party as a superstar playing for, for your country. And I just love his passion and what he, he offers for Wales. So I think it's so much about him, um, whether, whether he likes it or not. It's also about, I think, whether they can score the goals because they are so reliant on him to get those goals because of a, perhaps a you know lack of firepower from from their strike force, if you like, um, and getting that balance right. And you know, there's been discussion this week. I mean, blimey, if England think they've you know sort of got it difficult over kind of do you have do you ever go for a back four or back three? Whenever I hear any Wales preview on the radio or TV, that's all the kind of the Welsh pundits ever seem to talk about. Kind of you know. Should we should we play a three or a four? And basically, you know, oh yeah, but if you play this and you don't, you know, don't provide the chances, and you know, Dan James could be an interesting player as well, you know, because he's, he's he's obviously got so much pace, so shouldn't perhaps overlook him um, to, to get him behind. I do feel as if it's again going to be about if Wales can click, particularly in that final third, if they can get. I think Neil makes a great point. It's all about the dynamics of the group, isn't it? If you can get that result early that you need then you relax and, and ease into the tournament. You know, Wales got that in, in, in 2018 with their first first win. And then obviously, you know, what happened with England, but they lost that game, but they'd already got the win in the bag. And it was, you know, eventually win, end up winning the group. And it's, it's just about that kind of, you know, getting that momentum. And I feel as if Wales can get that momentum, um, then, it, then it'll be a big thing. I think the temperature comes into play for them, doesn't it? I really think, back in, you, know, yeah. whew, you know, I think that, I mean, that's going to be sort of maybe a talking point around Wembley, but I do feel as if that, that, that that's potential, you know, potentially got a factor for them as well. But I, I think Wales can do well and have a, it's not been great build up, is it? I mean, suddenly no. Page find, finds himself thrust into, into the hot seat, you know, and it, it's not, it's not been ideal. But again, I think it's about that momentum, that team feeling and that team spirit. Right, let's get into the favourites then. France for the uh, competition, Neil. They obviously won the World Cup. They got to the final on home soil last time round. And the depth in their squad is frankly frightening, isn't it? 
It is. I think you, you look at that that forward line that of Mbappe, Griezmann, and now Benzema has been recalled is you know the, the you know the best in in the tournament. I would say. I think Deschamps took a, a bit of a calculated risk bringing Benzema back after all these years, and so far it seems to have worked in that respect. He seems to have been brought back into the squad okay. And now we have Giroud and Mbappe falling out. So there's, there's always something happening in, in the French team. I mean, they, the last time they won the World Cup in 98, they went and that same squad went and won the Euros two years later. I mean, the French team that they've always, we saw in 2010, they tend to do something spectacular like go and win it or terrible and go out in the group stages like they did in as, as defending champions in 2002. But um, I, I would make France my favourite. I think they're in a collision course with Italy in the semi-final. I think the winners of that game will will go on to win. I say France are the team to beat. Yeah, John, what about yourself? Who, what, what other teams sort of stand out for you? I suppose Spain, we always sort of think there are thereabouts. Germany, last tournament under uh, Lowe in charge of them. And Belgium as well, this golden generation of players, this might be their last chance. Yeah, I do. I do feel as if it, it might be Belgium's last chance. They've got a lot of players kind of around that that kind of thirty thirty one mark, and um, this might be there. Look, look. I think by far away, I think that France are on a different level to everyone else. I really do. I think you know it's going to be about team harmony. But the others, if you know they can take advantage, and I do. You know, Belgium can they get it right? <laughs> To me, it feels, and I don't mean to be, you know, disingenuous here to but towards Roberto Martinez, but it feels as if Belgium is playing out uh, rather like his club managerial career did, that it's promising a lot. It's got some nice football and nice footballers in there, and they certainly, you know, have the tools to to do better and, and, and kind of we've seen really positive signs in recent tournaments. But ultimately, they fall just short and it ends in slight disappointment. Listen, I think if, if Belgium don't, if Belgium don't reach the semi-finals, um, then that has to be deemed as, as you know, a disappointment. It has to be bearing in mind the quality that they have. I mean, they really have, you know, the defence perhaps is coming to, to an end, it feels, you know, yeah. defensively. But it still feels as if there's so much potential going forward with, you know, with, with Hazard, he's obviously not had the great season. De Bruyne, um, you know, Lukaku. I mean, how fit is De Bruyne going to be? That, that you know, that's clearly going to be a major issue because if they try and nurse through a half-fit player who's obviously had that injury for the Champions League final, then that's going to be a, a big mistake and, and big teams have really, really suffered from trying to get, a, you know, their superstar, their best player through tournaments before and paid a heavy penalty for it. So they'll have to make a big judgment call on that. Who else do I fancy? I mean, Italy are very, very difficult to um, score against, but conversely, they find it difficult to score. And so, uh, uh, you know, their, their setup and their their work and their progress under, under Mancini has been remarkable. So... I do think that they're, they're one to watch. Uh, Spain, I would normally be tipping them absolutely all day long, but I think they've been the COVID uh, situation that they've had within their camp has been very, very difficult for them to handle. And then the bizarre thing of not naming the whole 26-man squad, not naming the Real Madrid, you know. But, I mean, blimey, talk about, you know, talk about the sort of the manager lining up 
you know, good reasons for him to be sort of kind of shot at, really. I mean, it's just, wow. You know, if, if things don't go wrong, those are the sort of issues that you're suddenly, you know, brought back into sort of kind of line with to say, well, why don't you do this? And there's plenty of reasons there that perhaps they might, you know, sort of be questioning him at the end of the tournament if they don't do well. Germany, I don't think they've got, I mean, they've got some standout players, you know, that we're familiar with in, in the Premier League, obviously, but... I, I, I think it's far from being a, a vintage team. When I sort of kind of picked my last four, I didn't it didn't have the Germans in it, which is which is just remarkable for the European Championships. So yeah, no. I, I must say, I really fancy France, really do. Yeah, no, definitely. Let's finish then by talking about the game tonight. Then eight o'clock in Rome, Turkey v Italy to kick it all off. And uh, Neil, John mentioned Italy then, and I don't know what category do they fall into? Likely contenders or dark horses? They weren't even at Russia, but they're building something special under Mancini. Oh, absolutely. I think they're definitely big, big time contenders. I mean, you think it's back five years. The last time Italy in a major tournament, Simone Zaza was tap dancing that penalty in the Germany, that, that shootout. That seemed like a long, long time ago. And then they went through the low of failing to qualify for 2018, the first time since 1958. So Mancini's done a fantastic job. They're actually now 27 games unbeaten. The last eight games have won without conceding a goal. So that's a big strength. They've got great goalkeeping, Donnarumma, Chiellini, Bonucci at the back. John's right. The, the problem is scoring goals because the two good... I mean, they've got two very good Serie A strikers in Immobile and Belotti. The, neither of them ever really done it at international level. So I think yeah, Immobile is going to get the nod. I think they've got, you know, um, Berella in midfield is super. Verratti's coming back. I think they're going to be, you know, contenders for the, for the title up there. So, yeah, I think, I think they, they do t- tend to come good in big tournaments, Italy. So, yeah, I'm certainly looking for them to, to do something. Because, as I say, France, it, France or Italy for me. Yeah, they're on a longer unbeaten run, Italy, than actually they were in 2006 under yeah. Lippi when they went and won the tournament. So they are certainly one to watch out for. But Turkey, on the other hand, John, they might actually be classified as dark horses. Took four points off France in qualifying. And we've just been talking up France. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I live in North London and sort of kind of, you know, sort of around quite a sort of uh, a few Turkish shops and, and what have you and it's, it's still kind of quite a lot of excitement and what we'll pass this morning really and um, just because I think there's a belief isn't there amongst I mean we'll soon see whether it's, it's misplaced but I was talking to someone on sort of the other day who sort of um, and he was sort of saying this is our best chance basically for for for, for many years and basically he, he was talking about going on and winning it and basically he's getting that wrapped up to it. And of course, you know, we're familiar with some, some of their players and, you know, it's quite a nice, uh, quite a nice generation. But I'm thinking, really? Really? And there's a lot of talk about kind of Turkey being the dark horses and those sort of, those predictions worry me. Um, just because I just think sometimes if you really want to cause an upset, you know, the kind of the, the upset that, that Greece caused, you know, in 2004, for example, I don't know that you really ever think it's possible before it actually happens or, you know, Denmark even, you know, before that. Um, but look, I, you know, I, I think it'll be a good story and um, and I do think that they will be, they will be a good sign. Clearly, they feel that they've sort of kind of got strength all over the pitch and this is their best team since, what, um, you know, sort of late, late 90s, early 2000s. You yeah, know, 2002, they, sort of they came third, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they got the same and coach. 
Yeah, I mean, just just amazing, you know, and sort of kind of then, then it was about just two or three stand-up players in a real organisation, and that's that's effectively what he's got again this time. So I do think it'll be a really interesting, in, interesting game tonight and a bit of a... Because we're talking about two teams that actually fancy not, you know, not just chances, but to actually go on and win it. So that's the level of optimism. So I think what a way to kick off the tournament. And I think from that perspective, if you've got that kind of passion, if you've got that sort of belief, going into that first game and the two teams, it's going to be a fantastic appetiser for the tournament. Can I just add that you, the, the, the couple of Turkish players have won the title with Lille in France. Burak Yilmaz, a 35-year-old striker. I think he's, one, he's going to be one of the players to watch this tournament. You know, he's a great... And then Yazici in midfield as well. I think that's part of the reason they've got so much confidence. A 35-year-old top golden boot winner, potentially. So someone, yeah. I heard someone talking about this, basically about the amazing title winners and kind of, you know, throughout the various European divisions and uh, and I think it's sort of vital I say basically trophies you know and so you know it's obviously it's sort of, you've kind of got Leicester haven't you and it's it's interesting you know I think that basically all of a sudden you've got an opportunity there um, you know to see a bit of an upset and I, I just you know but the one thing is that I think that basically Italy-Turkey should be one of the most colourful and atmospheric games um, in the whole tournament and what will that look like tonight because I think that, you know, I was lucky enough to be at the Champions League final. And, you know, for all my kind of pessimism about what will the Euros look like um, and what will it sound like and what the fans will be like, there were 14,000 in the stadium that night and it might as well have been full and then some. The atmosphere and the noise that even a limited crowd created was fantastic. And I do think that this one has got potential to perhaps, you know, create a wonderful atmosphere and the sort of the backing for those two teams just because they're such passionate fans. Yeah, definitely. You've whetted the appetite, John. Eight o'clock tonight in Rome. It all gets underway. Turkey v Italy, the first game. That's it from us for the first edition of the Euro Digest here on the Football Digest podcast from John Cross, Neil McClemon and myself, Guy Clark. Thanks for your time and your company here on the Football Digest. That's all we've got time for.